Thanks, everyone, for coming. I have the distinct privilege of welcoming my dear friend, Rabbi Ari Carton, to join us this afternoon and teach us a little bit. Um, The reason why Spark does this is because, if you'll recall, a year ago as we started, we talked about our five core values. And two of the values, love and reconciliation, we're going to practice tonight. We're not just going to actually only talk about them, but we're going to do them. Does that sound good? Yeah? Great. So we don't want to only speak about the things that we we believe, but we actually want to put them into practice. And as we talk about love and reconciliation, one of the points of... um, Difficulty in our Christian story is that there's been quite a bit of anti-Semitism and anti-Jewish stereotypes that Christians have participated in, either knowingly or unknowingly, in very small ways and then in very big, tragic ways, um, and and great and small ways over different periods of time. But after the um, tragedy of the Holocaust, um, scholarship started to, within Christian community, Uh, scholarship started to address in a greater way the need to identify and understand Jesus as a first century Jew. Now that had happened a bit um, prior to those tragic events and our understanding had been growing, but after the Holocaust and then with the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, with the um, greater study and ability to travel, to go and live in Israel, to study there as the um, new state of Israel had been founded and provided a way for people to safely go to Israel, study and learn, as all of that started to happen, the awareness amongst Christian scholars of what we had been missing as a result of our lack of understanding of Jesus um, coming in first century Jewish flesh, and also the tragedy of what had happened between Christians and Jews, brothers and sisters from the same father Abraham, but who had um, done, particularly amongst the Christian faith, had done some pretty difficult things. I don't know if any of you have the tradition of eating ham at Easter, Um, But the reason why that tradition started was in order to identify Jews in the community that weren't eating ham in medieval Europe and persecute them as a result. So if you eat ham on Easter Sunday and that's been your sort of tradition, that's where that comes from. Now, today we don't know that. Like I grew up and we had honey-baked ham because my grandma liked it and she always wanted to go to the honey-baked ham store. I actually never liked the ham, so I can, you know, say that I like, I always preferred the turkey early on. But um, now that we know those things in our household and by insistence of me and to the rest of my extended family, we don't serve ham <laughs> at Easter. There are things that are part of our tradition that we're not even aware of. Um, and a lot of times, oftentimes even on Sunday mornings or Sunday afternoons in pulpits across the U.S., we have Christian pastors who are well-meaning, who are teaching us the only bits we'll ever learn about Judaism. And for most of us as Christians, we maybe don't have many friends who are Jewish. We've maybe never interacted with a Jewish teacher. And we often don't hear about Judaism from a Jew themselves, but instead we hear about it through the mouth and the teaching of our pastors. And that's okay except that not necessarily every pastor is as educated and experienced with Jewish tradition as others. And speaking um, personally, I can say that our seminary education, while wonderful, and it covered many bases, it didn't actually go into depth on understanding first century Jewish history. So as a pastor then would graduate and then start to teach on first century Jewish history, um, it's been easy and for pastors in their ignorance, not with necessarily any malicious intent, intent to say anti-Jewish stereotypes on a Sunday morning in light of our gospel teaching. The challenge with that, of course, is that Jesus himself was a Jew. All of the first followers of Jesus were Jewish, and it was a Jewish movement. And so we end up putting in the mouth of Jesus things and context that wouldn't have been to him historically. So this opportunity to sit and learn, to learn from Rabbi Ari, and then to next Friday, this coming week, um, come and attend a Shabbat service, provides us many opportunities to say, let's change the past. Now, we can't change the past, but we can make sure that the future doesn't repeat the past. We can start to build friendships where there weren't friendships before, and we can start to learn from an actual Jewish rabbi rather than just a pastor who talks about them, right? So we can learn it from the mouth of the persons that believe uh, rather than people who sit outside the faith. 
And we get the opportunity to learn more about this wonderful congregation that allows us to spend time here every Sunday afternoon. Um, We get to learn more about our friends and our neighbors. We get to learn more about the people that we work with and go to school with and everything else. And we get to learn more about ourselves and our own Savior. As we look at a lot of the things we're going to study tonight with Rabbi Ari in the Shabbat service, we're going to study things that would have been in the mouths of first century Christians, first century Christians, first century Jews, Jewish followers of Jesus, that Jesus himself would have prayed the Shema, the number one commandment, he says, or the central prayer of Judaism. The word means hear or listen, sort of pay attention. And it starts with, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And then continues, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. That's prayed in all of the Shabbat services um, that you would go and attend. And so here today we'll get to learn and experience that prayer with Rabbi Ari. So hopefully it gets us a little bit closer to what at least the words that Jesus, you know, spoke some Hebrew. Yeah, had the text memorized. It's pretty good stuff. Yeah, as well as some Greek and Aramaic. So we'll get our, our mouths wrapped around some Hebrew tonight. Does that sound good? It'll be transliterated so you'll know what you're saying. And oftentimes you'll be saying scripture um, from your Hebrew, your Bible and the Hebrew scriptures. And we're just going to learn a little bit more about our dear friends. Now, in that, I'd like to say my friend, Rabbi Ari, has become a dear friend. Um, We count him as one of our close friends. He's counseled us through different seasons of life. He's been a great supporter of Spark Church. We've been friends for many years now and been happy that in the last years plus two years, we've been able to um, work more closely together and learn more from one another. We're teaching a class together for his congregation in February and March and all sorts of fun things we get to do together as a community. Um, He was over Hillel for 20 years at Stanford campus. He's been rabbying for decades and rabbying, right? That's a verb. Yeah, exactly. Like pastoring, rabbying. Almost 40 years. So I'm only 20 years, so he's got me beat by 20, so I have some more learning to do to catch up with him. So let me welcome Rabbi Ari up to the community here. So you know this is a synagogue. But the word synagogue is Greek for what the Hebrew word, which is two words, bet, like an alphabet. Bet is the second letter of the alphabet, but it's a picture of a house. So the letter in Hebrew is a picture of a house. So bet is a house. And then the second word is Knesset, like the parliament of Israel. And that means assembly. So it's assembly hall. That's all the synagogue means. Synagogue means a place to get together. Sin come together. And bet Knesset is what the whole building is, and specifically what we call this room, which is the biggest room for an assembly. The second thing is that Kevin alluded to the craziness that I do with uh, zeros instead of O's, and I thought I would explain that to you, which is that God is no thing. So whenever I write God, or any word that I want to use to imply God, I substitute a zero, for the O. That's partly because of a Jewish tradition, which is to take the O in God or in Lord, and in order not to take the name in vain by, if God forbid, you drop a prayer book on the ground and step on it. You weren't meaning to do anything wrong, but you'd be stepping on God's name, and so by putting a dash in there, you're not spelling it out. Well, all, everybody knows that it doesn't really matter. You know what it means, and therefore you're still spelling it out. So it's, a, it's an additional piety but it doesn't really accomplish anything real. But one day as I was typing up something about God, my rambling finger went farther than the O and hit the zero. And I realized that in a mystical way, I had found the answer that I'd seeked, which is because if you, if you do uh, typing with, on a computer and you get G-D, <clears throat> it could happen that the G will be at the end of one line and a dash, and the D will be on the beginning of the next one thinking it's a hyphenated word, and that's just not a good thing. So G0D never gets separated by overzealous word (laughs) processing things, and so that works out really well. Anyway, so G0D, and we don't say Lord because our congregation is egalitarian, and we try not to address God and gender. So nothing in our prayer book addresses God and gender. We are scrupulous about that. Um, And uh, that's another difference between us and Christians, but I don't want to talk about differences today. I was, those two songs that were 
were going were really wonderful songs. There, there was nothing about them that I couldn't sing. I changed a couple lords to gods, but that's okay. And, and the concept of God to me is the infinite. So uh, if you ask me what God is, I will say God is no thing or God is all thing. And that's when we say Shema, which is God is one, which is all. One is an infinite number, and zero is also an infinite number. But I'm going to start by teaching you how to sing a couple of these Hebrew songs. And if you do come on Friday night to our service, I'll tell you a couple things about it. First of all, our prayer book goes backwards. Hebrew, it goes from right to left. So you'll be going along, and you'll be trying to go one way, and now the book will be making you go the other way. So... I hope that won't be too difficult, but um, it's also what we call a many voices Shabbat. So we don't use instrumental music much in our services, and it doesn't have to do with a whole lot of things except that a, a traditional form of Jewish worship is not to use uh, musical instruments, but my reason for not doing it is making it easier for lay leaders to lead the service. That is, if you don't have to have two skills, if all you can do is just sing, that's enough. And so... Every so often, the fifth Friday of the month, we'll, we'll use a band, and we'll substitute a different kind of music every time for that. We've done Beatles and Simon and Garfunkel. This coming January, the fifth Friday, is going to be country western, so that kind of a thing. So we've done a lot, and I've set a very difficult task. People go shopping for uh, synagogues at the end of the summer, because that's before the high holy days, and so we're going to substitute in August, we're going to substitute nursery rhymes for the... I'm not sure we'll be able to do it, but I'm going to try and do that because they were looking for schools for their kids, and I'm going to do it then. So the very first song is called Havana Shira. I think it's on your thing, right? That's what it is? Yeah. So Havana Shira is a three-part round. So I'm going to be ambitious and try to start off by doing a three-part round. And this is how it goes. It's real simple. Hava means let's. Nashira, sing. Shir is a song. And hallelujah means praise God. So let's sing a song praising God. And it goes like this. Havana Shira Shir Hallelujah That's eerie. It's talking behind my back. I didn't even know that. Havana Shira Shir Before I do a lot of things with a lot of words, I want to do something with the four words. Figure if you can do four Hebrew words, you can do a lot. I'm going to tell you a little bit about me as a person. Uh, when I was in uh, rabbinical school, the last year of my rabbinical school, I took a, an internship in a congregation in Washington, D.C. But it wasn't just an internship in a congregation. It was a program called Intermet, which was Interfaith Metropolitan Theological Education, Inc. And... Uh, what it was was people, uh, uh, aspiring Holy Joes from all kinds of faiths, getting together as interns in our own congregations and learning to be ministers, rabbis, priests, imams, etc., by doing. And once a week we would get together and we would take certain topics we would, and, and go through the year. And so it was, a, it was a great year. In addition, I had a job one quarter time as the staff person for the Interfaith Commission of Greater Washington, D.C., which is different than any other city's interfaith commission because this did national lobbying. So all the national movement's offices were the ones that were there, and I was this little peon, uh, and I just got to go with all these very high-ranking and very colorfully decked-out bishops and things uh, of great stature and meeting with uh, Congress people and senators and stuff like that. So that was kind of a fun year, and I, I did that for just that one year. But I learned how to pray in the same kind of songs that you all sing here. Uh, and we did all kinds of things. They were not religion-specific. They were just God-oriented. And some of the highest and most incredibly powerful experiences of God's presence I had during that year, I found out that there are ways, many, many ways to experience God. And they all go in the same place. They just go in through different doors, as they say. So, uh, and we were floored. Literally floored. We were having a prayer service, and in the end of the service, we were lying back on the floor. We didn't know how to get there. We'd just been blown away by the presence. And, and, and everybody together was different religions, and it was just really probably the most meaningful experience of Sinai that I'd ever had 
to knowing that it could be anywhere among anybody and all kinds of people put together. So that was really kind of cool. The second thing is when I got out to Stanford, I put together the Associated Ministries, Stanford Associated Ministries. And so that I, we, we met once a month, all the Holy Joes of different kinds of places, and, uh, and on different topics. Sometimes they were social justice, sometimes they were logistical, sometimes they were relations with the overarching university authorities, Caesar, and sometimes they, <laughs> sometimes they were just, uh, you know, getting together and having some fun. But we did that, I did that for, I was at Stanford for 21 years, and I did that for 18 of them. So interfaith work has always been a part of my life, partly because my family's interfaith. My mother chose to be Jewish, but the rest of her family to stay happily Catholic or Baptist. And so I lived in my cousin's Catholic parish. Another cousin was the TV priest of St. Louis. Another, a couple of the Jesuits and a Baptist priest. So it was just, you know, we all got along pretty well, and I just didn't see any reason why not to. Anyway, so these are the kind of things that I come from. This is the kind of stuff that I do. I figure, basically, there are two ways to judge a religion. Are you nice to people? And are you nice to animals? And if you're nice to people, and you're nice to animals, then you're a pretty good religion. And if you're not, then the heck with you, because, you know. <laughs> and, and that, but that's the basic way to judge people. I mean, I don't care what you say. I don't care what you play. I only care is what you do. And if you do things that are good for each other and for everybody, no matter who they are, then that's the best thing you can, you know, any religion can do. And in the meantime, I hope you have a lot of fun being with the people that you do it with and that you get a chance to really have those experiences where God blows your head away. And those are really, kind of, I mean, without drugs. I think that those are the wonderful <laughs> things that it's possible, believe me. <laughs> so, anyway, the, the next song, Shirulat Onai. This is just from the psalm, Psalm 96. This is part of our Sabbath uh, service. Right out there are psalms in the Sabbath service in all in a row, and this is one of them. And it goes like this Shirulat Donai, Shirushihadash. That's a lot of words now. We're getting there, right? So shiru means sing. Ladonai. Adonai means Lord. And we substitute that for God's name. We don't say God's name. And we can go on that for a whole other thing, but I won't get there yet. Shiru, again, sing. Sing y'all. It's plural. Shir, a song. Chadash, new. So sing a new song to God. Kol ha'aretz. Kol is all. Ha'aretz is the land, all the world whole universe. Everybody sing a new song to God. And so let's just try this first line. Shiru Ladonai Shiru Shihadash Shiru Ladonai Kohaaretz Shiru Ladonai Shiru Shihadash Shiru Ladonai Kohaaretz Part 2 Yai, dai, 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 dai. And this is Shiru Ladonai, sing to God. Baruchu, Baruch means bless. Baruchu Shimo, bless God's name. Shiru Ladonai, Baruchu Shimo. Basru, Basru is a word that means gospel. Good tidings. So that's one way to translate it. Um, that's an old English word, gospel. We just give good tidings. Say good things. Basru miyom miyom. Yom is a day, from one day to the next, about God's salvation, Yeshua Tov. Now, you may notice the name Yeshua in there, and that would be Jesus in Hebrew. So sing, say good things daily about God's salvation. That's not the name, that's just the word salvation. So, Shiru Ladonai Shimo. So, why do we sing in Hebrew? And the answer is, when you go around the world and Jews get together from all over around the world and we sing in Hebrew, everybody knows the same word. If I, first time I went to the Netherlands and I was visiting with the widow of one of my teachers and she took me and her family to the service at the local synagogue and most of it was in Dutch and I didn't speak a whole lot of Dutch, not much at all. All I could say was Anne Frank. Anyway, so the... Uh, <laughs> And so I, the parts that were in Hebrew, <laughs> I understood. And the parts that were in Dutch, I had no clue. And so that's why we sing in Hebrew. It is a way for unity among Jews around the world. It used to be singing in Yiddish, but now Hebrew is with the modern state of Israel. That's the lingua franca. That's the main language of all. So now the Baruch Hu. Baruch Hu 
is a blessing. Again, it's how we start the service. The real part of the service gets moving with the Baruch Hu. And this is a thing. By the way, it's the one thing I noticed when you all are looking up at the words. It's kind of cool. What's really interesting, we don't use the screen to do that. And we were talking about things like that. There are some congregations that are doing it. But, you know, we, don't, we do it fairly low tech. But one thing is that when you see people using a book, they're all looking up. But y'all are looking up. So there is a positive thing about that because you free up your vocal cords when you put your head up like that. <laughs> and uh, who knows? <laughs> I'll report on that to the committee. <laughs> That's much better up there, you know. <laughs> anyway, the first part is a whole lot of yaita dice. There's a lot of ways to sing the Baruch Hu, and this is just one of them. I'm not going to make you all stand up, but you can watch what I do now. This is where we bow. We go. And Baruch comes from the word ni. Ni is a berech. And a bracha is a blessing. And a brecha is a pool of water. And if you're walking in the desert and you see him to find a brecha, you get down on your berech and you do a bracha. So <laughs> that's how that all works out. So that's where we do a ni bow. And so... Barehu et Adonai Hamevorach Ba'ed I'm going to tell you a little bit about that. See those arrows? That's the way you bow. That's when you bow and the way you bow. And so when we teach kids how to bow, we say, when do you stand up? And they say, when you hit Adonai which means Lord. And why do you stand up when you hit God's name? Because God is zoketh kefufim, as the psalm says, the one who brings up the bent over. So every time we bow on baruch, on knees, when we hit God, we stand up. Because God's supposed to bring us up, not down. And so that's the theory behind that. All right? Now I'm going to do the shema. Shema is much easier. Six words in Hebrew. I don't know how many. It depends on how you're translating it. As to how many words it is in English, it's not easy uh, to translate. And I'm going to do something in English, which is uh, uh, the you will love Hashem your God, you will love God. Uh, that's the part that follows the Shema in the book of Deuteronomy. But here's how Shema goes. This is the standard version. When I say standard, it's not very old. It was written, it was composed in the beginning of the 19th century, 18th, uh, 20th century, excuse me. Uh, and so it was, it was composed for the reform movement. The reform movement has now moved on to some other ones, but the conservative movement still uses it because they're conservative. So they <laughs> <coughs> Jewish politics. Anyway, it goes like this. And these six words are the ones in the Bible. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. And we're supposed to say D. We say, because the letter D in Hebrew looks a lot like the letter R. Only the T has a tail coming out this way, and R is smooth, round. And if you were to say Acher, which was what the way that would be with an R in the end, that would say that God is somebody else. If you say God is Echad, that means God is one. And so the rabbis made, if you can see the way that the Hebrew is, I don't know, no, do you have the little sheet to hand out? Yeah. So if you look at the little sheet handout, you'll see that the last letter of the thing on, you know, it's on the left side, that's the last letter, is, is big. And the last letter of the first word is big. And the reason is because you take those two letters and put them together, they mean witness. So every time you say this, you're bearing witness to the unity of God. The other thing about it is the last letter of the first word is the letter ayin, and ayin means an I. That's the word for I in Hebrew. And so when you have that word shma, which means hear, with your ear, the big letter is your I. So you're supposed to look and listen at the same time. Now the thing is, why would you say hear 
that God is one and not look at God as one. Because every time you look around, it looks like more, more than anything. All this infinite number of things out there. How could that be one? And the only way that you can tell that God is one is by listening. I'm with your listening for the still small voice, listening to the voice of tradition that tells you that it doesn't matter what it looks like, it's all one underneath. So that's what that is. The second line, Baruch Shem Kavod Malchutole Olam Va'ed, says God's blessed throughout time. And the nice thing about that, and if the last word, you see, takes those two big Hebrew letters and puts them together, and that means infinity in space and time. In addition to meaning witness, it also means infinity in space and time. So it's one of these very trippy things. We don't teach the kids that when they're young because we don't want their little heads blowing up. But, but when they get to the bar and bat mitzvah year, when they're 13, that's when I blow them up. Because <laughs> I don't want them to think about all the things that we've taught them and all the little ways that kids think. I want them to learn some of the more difficult aspects of God that really are very, very difficult uh, about God being one. Let me tell you one thing about God being one. Isaiah 45, 7 quotes God saying, I am Yotzer Or, the one who shapes light. Borei Hoshef creates darkness. Osei Shalom makes peace. Uborei Ra, and creator of evil. I am Adonai who does all these things. That is, there's only one address in the universe. There's no address for evil that's different than the address for good. And that's the hardest thing about monotheism. If you believe there's only one God, then there's only one God. And there's no other place for evil to come. You can't say there's a hole in all, because if you're saying there's a hole in all, there's, something, there's some place in God doesn't exist. And when you ask the kids and they say, where, you, where is God? They'll say, everywhere, everywhere, right? So if God is everywhere, then there's no place other. So think about that tonight. Uh, around 2 in the morning, it'll wake you up, and then you'll wonder what, what's going on. But anyway, we'll do the Shema, and then we'll go right into this other song, and it's pretty easy, and I'll show you how to do it. But anyway, Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kivod Malchuto now, this is a song by Debbie Friedman. She translated the part that comes after that, and it's really nice. It goes like this. The word Hashem, again, means, uh, is, is, means the name. So we don't say God's name. So sometimes we say Adonai in traditional things, and sometimes we just say Hashem, which means the name. It allows us not to say something masculine, even though the word for name is a masculine noun. But, you know, we can do you can't get out of gender in Hebrew. Everything has gender in Hebrew. There's no neuter. Everything is either male or female. We're both. Anyway, I'm not going to go there. I hope you get a chance to come on Friday night. We have a lot of people wanting to sing with you. And, uh, and uh, as we teach our students how to sing these songs, and some, we have a lot of people who never belong to a congregation in their entire life. They have no idea what they're doing. And we had a little session the other week about what happens, and they said, I think the hardest thing is learning the Hebrew. So if you come, you'll be with a whole bunch of people who know what you're talking about. You know, oh my gosh, that Hebrew is really tough. <laughs> thank you so much. My pleasure, my pleasure. Everyone, let's uh, thank Rabbi Ari. He is, uh, squished us in this evening to a very busy schedule, and he's on his way to another meeting, so we're going to honor his... Um, schedule and have a little bit of time to talk a bit together and I'm going to teach you a little bit more. So keep your packets in front of you and we're going to have some fun. Sound good? All right. So um, when we attend the Shabbat service on Friday night this coming, what we thought would be great would be if that we just weren't standing there watching people worship like, you know, through a plate glass window or you know, as Ellen said, animals at the zoo. Um, we, d we just thought it would be better to be able to come and participate. So that's why we wanted Rabbi Ari to sing a few of the songs for you guys. You can get a taste of Shabbat service on, on Friday night. Also, when we come on Friday night, we would love it if you would sit amongst 
everybody, rather than like all the sparkers on one side and all the etzheimers on the other side. Um, for a couple reasons. One, you're not going to know the songs, right? So it'll be good to hear the person next to you sing louder than you will, and they'll be able, you'll be able to hear more of the Hebrew and, and hang out. And then additionally, the reason why we're doing this is because a lot of you asked questions, and I said, I'm not a rabbi, and you should ask a rabbi. And I um, have never conducted a Shabbat service on a Friday night, so you all should go to one and see what one is like. Additionally, we would say both Rabbi Ari and I, um, he doesn't speak for all Jews and I don't speak for all Christians, right? So he speaks for his congregation or even, I don't know, himself in his congregation. And so as we attend Etz Chaim on Friday night, you will know what some Jews do on a Friday night, but not what all Jews do on a Friday night. Not by a long shot. By the way, not, not the whole service is not all singing. So you won't be, there's, all, there's a bunch of readings, and I've chosen some readings that I think will give you a good idea of what it is we think about. Awesome. Right. Thank you, guys. You. Thank you. We'll see you Friday. Um, so to that end, then, one of the things that will happen in the service is there'll be different prayers. And one of the prayers that's going to be said is the Amidah. The Amidah prayer is here in your booklet. Um, it starts, it's actually long. There's 18 sections of the Amidah or 18 blessings. Um, it's called the Standing Prayer or the 18 Blessing Prayer. And I'd love for you to take a look at it. They're going to, uh, you'll see there's different parts where there's a bow. You'll see um, different members of the congregation, maybe not everyone. But after they bow, they'll also be part of the Amidah prayer where they'll take three steps back and then three steps forward. And the reason why is because you're coming before the king. And so you can imagine if you came before a king, you'd be like, hey, and then (laughs) step back a little bit. But then as Rabbi Ari said, then you stand back up because God lifts us up. So you'll see that part. I wanted to explain it to you. So if all of a sudden everybody around you starts to bow and shuffle, uh, three-step, you'll know what's happening. And you're welcome to participate in any way that you like or not at all and just observe. Uh, But the Amidah prayer is fascinating because it is from the time of Jesus. Um, It finalized its form just about 100, 200 years after the period of Jesus. But most of it was set during the first century. And it's likely that Jesus said this prayer and also taught it to his disciples. And many scholars think that when they ask Jesus, the disciples say to Jesus, teach us how to pray, that he is giving them not a brand new prayer necessarily that they've never heard before, they don't have any context before, but he's explaining a shortened version of the Amidah. And the Amidah was long, so you couldn't just spout it out real quick. So certain rabbis would start to explain and give a shortened version or sort of like a prayer for emergencies. Right? So if you don't have time to pray the whole prayer, like my favorite prayer is two words, Jesus help. Right? So if you don't have time to pray the whole Lord's Prayer, you just might start with the Jesus help. Or you might just call out the name. <laughs> Jesus. So, so this is a shortened, potentially shortened version of the Amidah when you think of the Lord's Prayer. And I've included an article about that for you, for your reading at home, if you're so interested. And I have a longer, like, 30-page article that shows you all the Greek and all the Hebrew and how you get to all of that. So if you're interested in that, um, you can email me, and I'll give you the link for that. This article is by a Christian scholar named David Biven, who's lived in Israel, um, served in the army there. He's lived there since the 60s, and he is a passionate follower of Jesus and a good friend, and he's done a lot of the work and gives you a translation of the Amidah for you to read. Now, at this point, um, I'd like to just talk about a couple of other things as we um, go through our program a little bit together and getting to know our area, our synagogue. You guys all see back behind here the nice, beautiful wooden closet. It's called an ark. It's the Torah Ark, and if we open it up inside, there are beautiful Torah scrolls. Part of what you'll see in every synagogue is a Torah closet, and this Torah scrolls inside. And if you come back, or we'll lift up the screen later, you can see they have a lovely tapestry all around. We were going to pull out the scroll for you tonight, but it wasn't quite enough time. So hopefully you'll get another chance to see it at some point. Maybe on Friday night after service, we might have time for you all to see the Torah scroll. The other thing that you'll notice in every synagogue, and again, it's going to be behind the screen, is a near tamid, which is an eternal flame that's going to burn all week long. It never goes out all, all the time. And there's a light switch over there that says near tamid, and it's covered up, and they say, please don't, please don't 
turn this off ever. So there's different things you'll notice in each synagogue as you go in. You also see the, this podium up here. It's referred to as the bima. And so the place where you stand and you read from the Torah scroll. So as you go into any synagogue, certain things you'll see in all places. But different synagogues will look a little bit different in terms of their layout. If you're in an Orthodox synagogue, the synagogue will be divided. There'll be a small wall and men will be on one side and women on the other. Um, so different ways that you might experience worship in different communities. Now, as we have an interfaith dialogue, I've put together a little, like, guidelines for interfaith discussion. And this is the last little portion of our packet. I'm not going to go through all of it tonight, but just wanted to point out a couple of things to you. When we have interfaith dialogue, it can be a little bit uncomfortable for some of us. It can start to feel like we're putting on someone else's clothes as we participate in um, sharing worship or finding um, a conversation. Maybe there were some things that Rabbi Ari said tonight that felt uncomfortable for you. Uh, maybe it was the concept of God being no thing. Maybe it was the um, discussion of Isaiah and hearing about how God also creates evil. Now we're all going to go work on that for a little bit. Um, there's things that Rabbi Ari says and teaches that we as Christians don't believe. That's why we're Christian. And there's things that we believe that he doesn't believe, and that's why he's a rabbi and he's Jewish. So when you have interfaith dialogue, we should expect to disagree. We should also expect to find lots of things to agree on and lots of things that are very comfortable. As we went through some of those prayers, hopefully there were some things that you went, oh, that's cool. I now know how to say Psalm 133 verse 1 in Hebrew, which is really neat because Jesus would have said Psalm 133 verse 1 in Hebrew, and I just wrapped my mouth around those ancient words. So there's some really fun things that we can learn from one another. And Christer Stendhal, a Swedish theologian, Christian theologian, coined this term holy envy. And I love this term. He says, when you come to interfaith dialogue, you should come prepared to find something of beauty in the other person's religious expression. Mm -hmm. Something that you might want to emulate in some way or you at least can appreciate. For me, that comes in a couple of different places within the services that you'll see and experience on Friday night. One is called the Mourner's Kaddish. In Jewish community, um, every time you are gathering, particularly for Shabbat service on Friday night and Saturday morning, there would be opportunities for those who are mourning in the community to stand and say a prayer. Now, we would recognize different members of our community. So it, it happens a little bit in different synagogues. But, for example, I was at a Shabbat service recently, and they asked everyone who was in mourning for someone, whether it was within the last month or within the last year, or it was the year anniversary of some, a loved one's passing, to stand. Now, you can imagine if right now in our community I asked everyone who was mourning to stand. And we know that there are members in our community who have had significant loss in this last year. Loss of a parent loss of a good friend, um, who are struggling even with people who are very ill right now. If we were to see in our community every person who was still in mourning physically stand up, and then as we all pray together, the rest of us stand and join them. In picture, every Shabbat, if you're mourning, you see and experience your community standing with you as you continue to mourn your loss. It's a powerful experience, and for me, it's a moment of holy envy where I look and say that is a beautiful way of continuing to honor the one that's passed and honor the one who is still mourning the loss. And I think for those of us within the Christian faith, um, have you ever been, for me, like sometimes I've been to a funeral where I feel like we moved to celebration so quick that I didn't get to be sad. And that's okay. I think there's something wonderful in the Christian tradition that says, hey, we get to start to celebrate resurrection and we celebrate that that person is not dead but has, is living, that Jesus has done all of his birth. Fantastic. I like that part of our, our expression of our faith. But I also really want sometimes the moment to just say, I'm sad and I kind of think this stinks. And when I, a couple years ago, had to bury a six-year-old, um, in my ministry. And this little boy had struggled with cancer most, most of his life. And I was with him when he passed. And I played cars with him up to the moment that he took his last breath and was with his family. And when we had his funeral service, I wanted to just cry. 
I put on mascara that morning as an act of faith. It was a terrible, like just, I didn't make it. And I know that the community wanted to see a pastor who would stand up and say, he's cancer-free, he's running with Jesus, and it's awesome, and it's great, and it's wonderful. And all I really wanted to say was, I don't think six-year-olds should ever die of cancer. I just don't think this should ever happen. I'm kind of upset about it. And I'm glad that Isaiah says at the end of Isaiah that no more will a child live but a few days. That when we look towards that new heaven and new earth and the restoration, that this won't happen anymore. And sometimes I just want to say, I'm still sad. I'm still sad that 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 happened. So I, I have holy envy for the way in which mourning is handled within the Jewish community. Now, it doesn't mean that I don't like my own tradition, too. It just means I can see the beauty of that. The other place where I personally have holy envy is on Shabbat. The parents bless their children. And it's beautiful, and you'll see that next Friday night. And you can imagine if at once a week in your home growing up, your parents had to stop everything and bless God for you, and give you a blessing, no matter how you had acted that week, whether or not you were on restriction, whether or not you'd lost screen time, whether or not you had shouted at your parent, but one every Friday night, your parents said a blessing. That's amazing. And I didn't grow up with a lot of um, religious practice in my home. We went to church on Sundays, but it wasn't, we said grace before dinner. Like that was kind of, that was kind of it. And I have holy envy for a, process, for a community that honors and blesses kids on a regular basis and allows the parents and that children that connection. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to start doing exactly that in my home, but I could start to do something like that in my home, right? If you have kids, you might say, you know what, every Wednesday night's going to be family night, and we're going to make sure that we're going to say one thing, or we are going to pray for our kids. We're going to do a public bless. You can find all those different ways. So I pray and hope that as we have interfaith conversation next Friday night, um, and as we experience that together, we come with the expectation that there'll be things that aren't quite comfortable for us, because you're not Jewish, maybe, necessarily. Maybe some of you are. Um, but we will come and we'll say, I like that. That's really beautiful. And we can just honor one another's traditions and experience part of what God has given each one of us. Um, The other thing that I would like to say is be authentic. You don't have to pretend to be Jewish to come to a Shabbat service next Friday. They know you're from Spark Church. It's okay. So if you would like to wear a kippah, a head covering when you come in, you're welcome to, but you don't have to. Um, And if you are comfortable doing that, then do that. Be authentic to who you are. This is directly from Rabbi Ari. He said, tell them to be authentic. Tell them to feel comfortable. If they want to wear kippah, go ahead. If they don't, they don't have to. This congregation here at Etzheim is very relaxed with a lot of those issues, and they're very open to however um, however comfortable you are, and they do that for their own members, so they're extending that to you and I as well. And we hope that you make friends. I think the thing that I love about interfaith conversation and dialogue is that I get more friends. I don't know about you, but I could use more friends. And there's an opportunity to engage and to learn from one another. When Rabbi Ari and I sit and hang out, I hear um, the same passage that I've been studying for a long time. Have you guys ever gone to church where you're like, I've heard that message 20 times? Like if you've grown up in church, you've heard that version of that message. Or maybe you had a pastor that always taught about, I don't know, like their favorite. They always taught about Elijah. They just couldn't get off Elijah, right? And you heard everything there was to know about Elijah. I guarantee you if you heard Rabbi Ari teach about Elijah, you would hear something new. Now, there might be those in his congregation that have like, we've already heard that from Rabbi Ari because we've been here for 20 years, right? But for us, it would be a fresh perspective. So we have a friend that looks at the same text that we look at, but reads it from another perspective. And it's a really enlightening and fun experience. And when Rabbi Ari and I are in Torah study, or we sit down and we start to look at the text together, he can say, I see this. I'm like, oh, that's fascinating. Now, that could be Rabbi 101, right? But I've never heard it before because I went to seminary. And I can share the thing that I've learned my whole life with him, and we learn something from one another. We also get the opportunity to be friends. And we've had that wonderful opportunity to even, Rabbi Ari, a few weeks ago, invited me to meet with one of his congregants with him. And we were able to both together uh, minister to his congregant. And during that time together, as we were both ministering to this individual, he said, eh, she's a Christian and she's one of my best friends. And she doesn't do that, right? Because we were talking about some people that had, had been unfortunate and kind of hurt her feelings. What a wonderful experience to be able to sit in a room with a fellow 
minister in our area and say, hey, let's, let's find our strengths and both together work on some things. So you get a new friend and you get the opportunity to learn about something and to maybe learn a little bit more about this God uh, you and I worship. Cool? So if interfaith um, dialogue is new to you or old to you in whatever way, I highly recommend you kind of read through a little bit of our recommendations that I've put together for you. Um, how we might come to this, um, how we might come to the table and have these conversations. Anything else you wanted to add? Okay, great. Then let me ask if anyone has any questions. Yes. 7.30. Oh, we're going to do another song. Uh, I have an announcement slide. 7.30 here on Friday. And you don't need to get here early. 7.30 is just fine. And he sent out an email to his entire congregation saying, please come and sing loud. So they're all expecting you and ready to welcome you with open arms. Yes. Yes. I, I was going from his packet that he gave me, and there'll be prayer books we all have on Friday night. And I think he was just singing it the way he's currently singing it. Yeah. Yeah, good question. Any other questions? You can ask any question. It can be, you know, something about what Ari said, something about what I said. Um, why do we even do this? Why is it important? Any of that. Yeah. It'll be just an hour. Yeah. The bowing is from the knee, or initially from the knee, and then a bow, and then back up again. But some people do it a little bit differently, too. You can kind of see. Yeah. It's not, not quite so strict. Here. And you'll watch. It's really fun. Yes. Sure. Absolutely. So one of the Ten Commandments is to have a day of rest, a Shabbat. And that is the seventh day of the week. And according to Genesis chapter 1, that starts the day that God rested and then subsequently commands all of us to rest, the Ten Commandments in Exodus and in Deuteronomy. That starts Friday night at sundown and ends Saturday night at sundown. Shabbat is a Hebrew word that means rest, cease, sort of like stop from what you're doing. And so as God did all of his creative work for six days, he then stopped. He ceased and rested on the seventh day. The beauty of Shabbat is that God gives us the command to stop, to cease, to remember that he is the creator and that we aren't. That the earth keeps spinning whether or not we're working on it, right? That we know who we are and who we aren't. And I think a lot of times um, maybe we as Christians have been taught that there was some sort of heavy religious obligation to keep Shabbat. Maybe a misunderstanding of some of our gospel passages. But I view Shabbat as an incredible gift. I feel like the creator of the universe has said, stop, relax, enjoy a day off. On me. I got this. I'll feed you. I'll keep the world spinning. I'll make it rain. I'll make the sun. I'll shine. I'll have the moon come. Like, I've got this. And I remember a couple years ago rushing around frantically feeling like, man, I just wish somebody would give me a day off. And I was like, oh, yeah, God has given me a day off. Now, you don't have to keep Shabbat the way that um, it's kept in necessarily a Jewish community. You could keep it. Lots of Christians keep Shabbat on Sunday. And it wasn't that long ago that most stores were closed on Sundays. And you couldn't, there's still lots of communities in the United States where stores aren't open on Sundays and where you can't buy or sell alcohol on Sundays and all sorts of other things, right? These are, what are they called? Blue laws? Yeah. So there's lots of communities that still do honor Shabbat on a Sunday, a, a day of rest. Um, so, uh, also, I think one other thing I'd like to say about Shabbat is that there's anticipation for it in the Jewish community. It's viewed as a gift. And so they wait for it all week long. And then it's, yes, Shabbat is here. And, it, and it's a beautiful gift that God has given. And at the close of Shabbat, there's, it, there's almost like a mourning. Wow, we won't have this beautiful day off and this day with God for one more week. And then they wait again for the next week with anticipation. So every day as the week moves on closer to Shabbat, we get more and more thrilled that Shabbat is coming towards us. Does that sort of answer your question? Great. Every Friday night, Saturday. So services are generally Friday night and Saturday morning. And then the rest of the day is with your family. And depends upon your religious practice, whether or not you um, drive on Shabbat, whether or not you use electricity on Shabbat, because there's a command not to light a fire 
in your Bible. Um, don't light fire on Shabbat. Don't do any work on Shabbat. So all of those things in more um, strict practice in Jewish communities, then they don't do those things. Um, there's no, they might have timers in their home, keeping their food warm or turning their lights on and off and things like that. So uh, um, also, there is a Sabbath marker around so you know exactly how far you can walk in different communities and cities. And Palo Alto has enough of a Jewish population that they actually have what is called an Aruv, a Sabbath marker up. So observant Jews who only walk so far on Shabbat know exactly where the marker of their city line, and they can mark that out, and they don't walk further. Yeah. But that's not all Jews. That's some Jews. And just like you, there's not all Christians that dunk or all Christians that sprinkle for baptism, and then di- or all Christians have this, or all- there's the same thing for Jews, right? The diversity that we have in Christianity is the same diversity that we have in Judaism. And as you get to know um, people in different walks of faith, particularly in Jewish walk of faith, hopefully you'll get a little more of experience um, in a modern sense of what um, Jesus's community and family line was about. So Judaism today isn't Christianity minus the Jesus, right? We've both developed. Judaism developed from 2,000 years ago, and Christianity has developed from 2,000 years ago. You guys don't greet one another with a holy kiss, do you? Because that's in your New Testament, and you're commanded to do it in your New Testament, but I don't see you all doing it. Those two, but another one else, right? (laughs) So there are things that we've started to change and shift, but there are still some things that are very um, similar um, to Jesus's practice as well. So the keeping of Shabbat and the ideas behind Shabbat, that's something that's 2,000 years ago and today. So you get the opportunity to experience some of that. Any other questions? You guys are great. I just wanted to help us give some handholds on anchors as we have interfaith dialogue in case it's something um, that we haven't done before. And that's okay. Um, you get to do at least one time through. And God willing, we'll get to plant a new future that says things like the Holocaust will never again happen as long as Christians are on the watch, right? We will make sure that never again um, do we see mass genocide of people groups, right? Never again do we see Jews being persecuted and not doing anything about it. Instead, we'll do something about that. Yeah. Okay, cool. Amen. Well, thanks, you guys. We're going to have some worship. Yeah.